Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome to the Mind Valley podcast. Today's episode is going to be an unusual one because what you're going to listen to is a reverse podcast. A reverse podcast is when I appear on someone else's podcast and they interview me. And the person interviewing me is Shaman Durek. If that name sounds familiar, it's because just two months ago, Shaman was all over the global news when the princess of Norway, Princess Martha Louise, announced that she was in a relationship with a black shaman. Think about how beautiful that is. And rightfully so, it made global news. Shaman Durek is the partner to the Princess of Norway. He is a powerful shaman and healer living in the United States, and he is the host of the Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. I was on it to appear on Shaman's podcast. And what you're going to listen to here are me and Shaman discuss ideas that I do not typically talk about on the Mind Valley podcast. We're going to bring in ideas from Martin Luther King, Nassim Haramin, Rumi, Esther Hicks, Abraham Maslow, Neil Donald Walsh, and of course, Ideas from my book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. We'll be talking about the grand illusions of the world, the illusions that shamans see through, illusions such as time. You'll understand why time doesn't really exist. You'll also understand why one of the greatest lies in the modern world is the lie of hard work and hustle. And we'll also go into some key ideas from the world's foremost spiritual teachers and how they tie to the ideas of Martin Luther King. We are going to be talking about the grander meaning of what it is to be human, but more so what it means to be a soul having a human experience and how to remember who you truly are. This episode is not about escaping the modern world. Rather, it's about becoming a master of life by understanding that the modern world is an illusion. Please enjoy this reverse podcast as I become the guest of Shaman Durek. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. Hello, tribe, and welcome to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. I am so happy that you are on this planet. And if anyone hasn't told you today how much you are loved, let me be the first. You are so loved, so seen, and so needed on this planet at this time during this great transition. We begin to merge all of our minds to create a way for us to be able to cohabitat this planet together in a very symbiotic way a place of love, a place of understanding, and a place of innovation for the sheer sake of innovating from the heart to be supportive of the collective. And I know what that means to you, Tribe. I know that it means to you that we and each and every one of us has to represent our leadership in this world in a direct way and really live our life in a way that we can truly bring forth this new awakening on planet Earth. And I'm so excited that we all get to be here on this planet at this time for this great transition. 
Also, I'm very, very excited because I have an amazing friend who is in studio with me today. Now, this is an amazing man. This man is not only a dreamer, he's an innovator and he's a creative thinker. He also is about bringing information to all of the people to make it accessible so that people can grow, learn, and be able to transform their lives with information from everything from science to spirituality. This is someone who's on the cutting edge of bringing what we need for our mind to go to the next level. And as you know, here in this tribe, we very much believe about leveling up ourselves and keeping ourselves lit. I'm so happy to bring him on today's share. He is the founder of Mind Valley, an award-winning educational movement with over millions of students worldwide and growing fast. New York Times best-selling author of his last book called The Code of Extraordinary's Minds. And also, there's a little secret, he has another book coming out, which we will talk about in today's share. He's also the founder of AFES and the Mind Valley University. Now, this guy has so many accolades for things that he has done, but he does everything for the people so that the people can grow and shape their lives to live their best lives every day. So I'm so happy and honored to welcome to today's share, Vishen Lakahani. Welcome. Hi, Shaman. It's such an honor to be on your podcast. You are such a powerful presence. So thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. You know, I'm really excited for everyone who's listening to today's share to be able to experience you. You know, you're full of so much energy and so much love and you're really out there to really bring forth information to the public in a way that is accessible so that people can grow. And you've already done that in so many ways. And I just heard, and correct me if I need correction, but Bianca Andrescu just beat Serena Williams in the US Open and mentioned some Something about your book. Can you tell me about that? Oh, yeah. So what happened was the day after the US Open, I woke up and I was getting these WhatsApp messages from friends all around the world. And I was like, what on earth is going on? And it turns out that Bianca Andrescu is one of my students. She attended my seminar on mind power about a year ago. And she also read my book. And it turned out that she's been practicing some of the Mind Valley methodologies for almost three years. From the age of 16 to 19, she had been practicing creative visualization, seeing herself beat Serena. And when she beat Serena, a couple of reporters asked her about her personal growth practices because she has such a passion for this field of personal growth. And she scrambled for her phone. And all of this was in the press, in Yahoo News and Fox News. And she pulled up my book on her phone. And then recommended my book. And I was so touched. I was so grateful. I think as an author, it's one of the biggest honors I've ever had. I still kind of, I mean, that pinch me, I'm dreaming thing. It's just such an honor to see your work be referenced in something so big. Absolutely. And also an honor to be able to know that you've assisted someone in supporting their life and their dream and their vision, which is really the big picture here that we represent here on earth. Okay. Let's talk about Vision before Mind Valley. What was Vision like before Mind Valley came about? Well, maybe first I should just explain what Mind Valley is. Mind Valley is a transformational platform to make human beings become their best selves. We believe we sell the single best product in the world, which is education that awakens your spirituality, your soul, your self-awareness, and ultimately helps you become a better human being. Traditional education misses a lot of that. It trains us to be, in the words of Calvin Coolidge, comes in the wheels of industry. It tells us that our worth comes from the job function we do, the title we have on our business card, our bank balance. And some of this is true, 
work is certainly important, but life is so much bigger than that. Now, what Mind Valley tries to do is we bring in the latest cutting edge methodologies to help human beings become their best self. And this means not just as a flesh and blood human being, but as a spirit, as a soul. So Mind Valley, we're around 300 people from 59 countries working in one beautiful office space. And the office space is called the Temple of Light. And interestingly enough, last week, Inc. Magazine just put it on its list of top 10 most beautiful offices because of this whole idea of merging a workspace with the essence of a temple. And in this temple of light, what we do is we create world-changing apps and personal growth programs. And all of this you can find on mindvalley.com. So we create festivals. We've created our own university. We are now working in schools. But the funny thing is, the work that we are doing, people used to laugh at it. I remember 10 years ago, I couldn't tell my friends in Silicon Valley that I quit Silicon Valley. I quit my job as an engineer to become a meditation teacher. But today, it's huge. Like 44% of the Fortune 100 will bring meditation or mindfulness to their companies in 2019. And so what we are seeing is that this work that we do that once used to be on the fringe, we're now getting requests to bring it into organizations all around the world. We just had, for example, the US Air Force sign up on our platform. 25 members of the US Air Force learning on Mind Valley. We just signed a major international school and a major university. We are about to close deals, and I can't say these names, with three or four of the biggest companies in the world. These are Fortune 100 companies. And it's so exciting to see spirituality, mindfulness, personal growth make these ripples across the world and become embedded in corporations, universities, and schools. So this is what I live for. And I was basically, as I insinuated, I quit Silicon Valley to become a meditation teacher because I was living life the old way. I was living life in the form of the hustle, the nine to five, surviving paycheck to paycheck, trying to make ends meet. I had failed at two different software startup companies I had started. And I found that what got me out of my depression, what got me out of being broke and broken was studying meditation. And that sparked everything. So I quit the valley. I became a meditation teacher. I went deep in the practice. You know, Bianca mentioned creative visualization. That was one of the first things I learned how to master. I would create my life in my head before I would see it in the real world. I would learn to tap into my intuition and listen to my soul and try to spend more time listening to the thoughts coming from within rather than the thoughts from outside. What? the media, the preachers, the fathers, the mothers, the teachers were telling me. And over time, as I refined this practice, I a calling to spread this idea to the rest of the world. I built the platform Valley. It's actually a technology platform. And I used my background in design and art and photography and engineering to attract many incredible teachers, including you, Shaman. You're one of our top teachers on our spiritual meditation app, Solvana. And anyway, that's what I do now. I like that. I want to go back a little bit when you were a meditation teacher. In this tribe, we're very much about grassroots, people building something for the world that's so authentic because everyone who listens to ancient wisdom and joins into the share from doctors to biohackers to everyone, they come here because they know that they're going to get the soul of the person 
who's expressing why they created what they did because they want to feel that journey of humanity, kind of like the book of the alchemist which is one of my favorite books is that whole story of that beginning person who built their company or built whatever it is they're doing in the world to be able to support people. So when you were a meditation teacher, what did you notice was missing that spark, that energy to say, Hey, I'm going to create mind Valley. So what happened was this, you know, when you meditate, when you start going within, there's a certain awakening that happens. And many philosophers say that this is the awakening of your heart moving from what one can describe as ethnocentrism to world centrism and cosmocentrism. Simply said, it means that your degree of compassion and connectedness extends to just the people that are part of your ethnicity, religion, nationality, or culture, that's ethnocentrism, that's 70% of the world. And your awareness expands to move your kindness, your compassion, your care to the entire world. That's world centrism. As you meditate more, it goes deeper. You attain cosmocentrism. Cosmocentrism is when you feel so connected to the entire cosmos that if an alien landed in your backyard and he was slimy and had tentacles emerging from his mouth and was the most disgusting being you'd ever seen, you'd still go and give him a hug because he was sentient. So the more you meditate, the more this degree of connectedness and awareness expands. You start seeing that one of the greatest lies we've been told as human beings is that we belong to a religion or a nationality. That is a false identity. It's what you were born into in this life, but you are so much bigger than that. You start realizing that we can care as deeply about the refugees emerging from Venezuela as we can about the poor people on our own street. And you also start to understand that your life is not about you, that the reason you are here is that the soul has two great intentions. The first is to grow, is to learn about itself, is to become more aware. And most of us confuse that. Most of us, because of our schooling system, start to believe that learning and growth is a chore. It's something we do to pass the SAT. Not true. We flip that around. Growth becomes the most important thing. Everything else is simply a vehicle for that growth. Your business takes off, no big deal. Did you grow? Your business sales, no big deal. Did you grow? Your relationship blooms, no big deal. Did you grow? Your relationship ends, no big deal. Did you grow? Everything is about growth. That's rule number one. But there's a second rule. And that second rule is, as you grow and become the most radiant soul you can be, you understand that all of us are connected. That in a world-centric and cosmocentric view, every action you take has ripples across the planet. And our job is to take the right actions so that we can collectively elevate humanity. And so you start understanding in the words of Neil Donald Walsh that your life is not about you. Rather, your life is about the lives of everyone you touch. So as I went into my meditation practices, both these two pillars started becoming incredibly apparent to me. Firstly, meditation was so powerful that I went from a broke engineer working in the sales floor to getting so good that in four months after taking that class, I was promoted three times. Before I knew it, I was the VP of sales in that company. But my meditation, again, allowed me to get so good at what I did, I decided to also take on the role of business development vice president. I had two VP roles in one company. I was performing like a superhuman. And my secret was meditation. 
Now, one of the other things that I started to develop in this role is intuition. The style of meditation I studied way back then in 2003 was something called the Silva Method. And the Silva Method is meditation that teaches you to develop intuition in the form of clairvoyance, psychometry, clairaudience, and other abilities where you can sense information. Now, back then, I would have to go to the San Francisco Public Library, pull out the yellow pages, and call every attorney from A to Z in my district, which was San Antonio, and sell them legal technology. And everyone else followed the same script and started with A's and the B's and the C's. Now, in my case, I could meditate, run my finger with my eyes closed down the yellow pages, and instantly know who to call. And I would double my sales. I doubled my sales in one week. My boss was fascinated. He's like, what did you do? And I said, you know, I think it's called ESP. And he said, ah, oh, that's bullshit. That doesn't exist. But you know, can you do it again? And so I got really good at this ability. And this is how I was able to hold two jobs because I was able to make intuitive decisions. Now, as I stayed with that company, I became one of the top people in the company. But again, when you spend so much time meditating, you start becoming acutely aware of how your actions impact everyone else. And I realized that that company was not ethical. My boss was not ethical. And I started feeling that I needed to leave. I needed to quit. I felt that the products we were selling, we were misleading clients. And I was part of that. And so I quit cold turkey and became a meditation instructor. And the funny thing was, Shaman, a few months after I quit, my boss was arrested by the FBI for corporate espionage. He had been hacking into the voicemail system of competitor companies and deleting their leads. How crazy was that? But my sense told me that I was working for the wrong man in the wrong company. So I quit. I became a meditation instructor. I became broke because in 2003 to 2008, you couldn't make money teaching meditation. But you know, 2008 onwards, as the smartphone was invented and the whole app industry developed, I started figuring out ways where I could actually build a tech-based meditation platform. And that was how Mind Valley started. So today, my life is dedicated to spreading conscious practices and enlightened ideas across the world. I love what you said as far and also sharing about Neil Donald Walsh, because in shamanism, one of the first things we learn when we're being chosen as kids and we go in our training is to be a vessel to pour into another. And so I love the consciousness that exists within all consciousness that is all inclusive and supports the greater whole of all humanity for us all to be able to be of service to one another. That's what I think is the most amazing thing. And that's something that I really appreciate hearing you talk about. What do you find to be one of the biggest distractions in life today that keeps people from being able to step into this level of connection to go to Mind Valley or to start meditating or start using practices that are actually enhancing their life and stimulating them in a way that's increasing their mitochondria, raising the way their serotonin, they're releasing dopamine and creating a better life for themselves? What do you feel is some of the things that are getting in the way? Well, the biggest thing is that time doesn't exist. And you know what I love about your podcast? I can talk about stuff that I would get skewed on on other podcasts. I shared about intuition. When I shared that on Dave Asprey's Bulletproof podcast, people actually went to my Amazon page for Code of the Extraordinary Mind and wrote nasty comments because they said, intuition is bunk, intuition is bullshit. Anyone who talks about psychic ability is a scam artist. Ugh. But on your podcast, you guys are so much more enlightened. So thank you for giving me this opportunity. So let me tell you the truth. And I've never shared this on another podcast, but time is an illusion. I can do 10x in a given 
hour, probably in fact, maybe 50x in a given hour as I could 10 years ago. Because every action I take, I first work on the energy. If I'm building an app, if I'm writing a piece of copy, if I'm about to hit into a meeting, if I'm writing a book, I work on the energy behind that. The entire world is an illusion. And when you start working on the energy and then being able to tap into energy, a couple of things happen, right? So you're able to intuitively make the right decisions. That speeds up time. And the second thing is you're able to create synchronicities and coincidences. So you asked me about the biggest illusion. The biggest illusion is the illusion of hard work and hustle. It's that to succeed in today's life, we've got to put in eight, nine, 10, no, 11, 12 hours a day trying to get work done. And that is what makes us successful. No, I actually limit my working hours so I have time to meditate, to go within, to study spirituality, to listen within, to doing things that keep me in flow. And at Mind Valley, we actually have a conscious policy where I don't like anyone in my team working more than 45 hours a week. In fact, 40 is ideal. I want them to have time for themselves. We start our morning huddles at 11.30 because we want to give people time in the morning to actually be able to do their personal growth practices. We like to encourage our people to get enough sleep. We have napping pods throughout the office because getting work done is not about hustle. It's about balance. It's about flow. It's about being in the zone. And so many of these are rooted in our spirituality. Beautiful. And I always talk to the tribe about quantum creation or quantum evolution and acknowledging that the moment you say, I've created a business, you've already created it in the spirit plane. And now it's all about you. And now from that point, everything is now operating to bring it into the world of material. So the invisible becoming tangible. And a lot of times people always think it's something that they're going to do. Like I'm going to create a business. It's like the moment you conceive it, the energy is already created. And I like that you said that because that's a very important thing nowadays because I feel like, you know, you see all these people walking around, like listening to like Gary Vee and this person, you got to hustle, you got to hustle. If you're not hustling hard enough, you're weak, you're not strong enough, you're going to fail. And I think that the hustle actually connects people to people that are not in their highest interest, meaning that they're not really supposed to be with. I know for myself, when I go to any kind of event, I don't go around the room wanting to meet every single person. I go and sit down and one place. And I know that spirit, my ancestors, whoever the forces that be are going to bring that person that I'm supposed to connect with in the most authentic way. And so I really love that you said that because it's important that people get that message. But my question is, why the hustle? Like, what is this thing inside of humanity that makes people believe that they have to hustle in order to get something? Where is this narrative coming from? Well, I think people are in different levels of development. In my book, Code of the Extraordinary Mind, I talk about four levels in which you can be at, right? The vast majority of the world is at level one, which is what I call the victim stage. They believe that life simply happens to them and they are a victim of circumstance. Now, they have to hustle and work hard. Think about, you know, Chinese sweatshop workers. They lead tough lives and we got to be sorry and sympathetic to them. But they believe that life is hard, life is difficult, and they have to hustle to survive. Now, at a certain point, and this is very true in the Western world, you move to level two. Level two is where you start to understand that you can create the life you want. But at level two, you believe that you're creating the life you want through intention, through goals, through hard work, through discipline, through intellectual ability. And all of this is true. All of this is completely true. 
but there's a level above. Level above is level three. Level three is when you go within. You start to understand that you are living in two worlds. There's the outside world, but there's also the inner world. And the inner world is more real than the outside world. As the Hindu said, the outside world is maya or illusion. The inner world is who you really are. Now you start dipping into level three when you start having a meditation practice. You start visualizing your dreams and you notice weird synchronicities coming. You have an intuitive impulse and you notice it happens to be right. You start understanding that you are so much more than your meat and flesh body. And as this awareness dawns and you go deeper and deeper in this awareness, you get to level four. Level four is where all seekers of the truth want to ultimately emerge into. Level four is when you get to merge both worlds. You understand that you do not create true intention. Rather, inspiration flows through you and inspiration guides your intention. You do not create or think about your goals through your logical mind because that logical mind has been seduced, programmed, brainwashed by media, by advertising, by politics, by religious leaders, by your parents who didn't know better. But if you can listen within, you can get an intuitive impulse on the right path, on what you need to be doing, on how you can best serve your soul. And your soul wants to serve the grand collective of souls, which is all humanity and life. Now, when you get to that level, life becomes easier because when you are operating directly from your soul's purpose, you are calling upon higher level powers and energies to help you. And whether you believe in angel guides or you believe that your mind ultimately bends reality, what starts to happen when you're at level four and you're fully in tune and inspiration is guiding your intention is that life becomes a downhill walk. It becomes easy. It's as if energies clear all the barriers in your way. And when you do find a barrier, it's nothing more than a momentary puzzle for you to solve so you can get and learn something new. And so this is where you want to aspire to be. But the Gary Vaynerchuk's of the world, and I have immense respect for Gary and love the guy. He's talking to people at level one. And now he's starting to talk to people at level two. He's starting to talk about self-love and self-esteem and conscious parenting. And that's great. But he started out talking to people at level one. And that's the majority of the world. And they needed his message. At Valley, we talked to people at level two, three, and four. And a lot of the stuff that we're doing in this podcast, we're talking to people at level three and four. This is a very advanced audience that follows you. So again, there is no right or wrong way. If we think that there's one form of personal growth for everyone, we are wrong. When you're at level two, creative visualization is the main tool you want to use. When you get to level three and you learn to truly go within, you do energy work. You do not creatively visualize. Rather, you use techniques such as merging to access delta brainwave states to bend reality. When you get to level four, you don't even have to worry about merging. The universe automatically moves on command as if you are a ninja. But again, level four is really hard to get to. There are very few people who function at that level. We're talking about the Paramahansa Yoganandas of the world, right? So again, it's really beautiful to be in this podcast because I can talk about stuff that I would get skewered elsewhere. 
Which is so interesting too, because you said you would get skewed, but there's so many people. Like I just got back from speaking at the Health Optimization Summit to a bunch of doctors, biohackers and scientists and everything. And they all came up to me at the end. It was like, this is what we want to hear more of because we need to learn how to merge these two worlds together instead of keeping them separate. And so it's interesting that we have to move past that whole idea of being scared because you know what? If people are getting annoyed by what you're saying, it's because in shamanism, we say they're growing and growing pains does look like people, you know, getting uncomfortable or making insults and so forth. And I think that you're right on track with evolution and where we're heading into because we can't keep taking science and separating it from spirit when the invisible, everything that we see around us came from the invisible. And we can't just say, okay, well, now it's tangible, that exists, the invisible doesn't, but we keep creating from the invisible to bring it into the material. And one of the things that I love that you were talking about is the victim, because in shamanism, we have this whole thing that, you know, human beings choose the victim narrative on this planet because religion constantly uses that whole narrative of being a victim through what the images they have of Christ in his underwear with his cross and all this stuff. And this is how we represent ourselves and our divinities. The more we suffer, you know, I go to India and you have people who feel like, like I suffer, I suffer, I suffer. And then, you know, I'm going to have a better life in the next life. And all these different ideas of being a victim gets people this idea of love. And that idea of love gives them an idea of empowerment. But the thing is, what it's doing on our planet is it's creating people to look for something to victimize them. And so they keep creating more monsters and they keep creating more adversaries and keep creating more types of aggressive things at them so they can say, well, this is what's making me a victim. And so my question to you is, if someone is in that victim narrative and they're saying everyone around them, their family, their friends, maybe it's their coworker or their boss, or maybe it's the person on the street corner or the person they rode the subway with or the tube or whatever, gave them a dirty look and that person is the one who's now victimizing them. What would you say to these people and what kind of steps can they take to come out of that disillusionment? Well, one of the most interesting things you can do is to play a little game. And the little game I like to play is that I am a force for good in the world. And my job is to simply brighten up the day of everyone else. So for example, if you're in a Uber and the driver is rude or mean or doesn't shut up, you play a little game. Can you bring some love into his life? Can you bring some smiles into his life? You would do the same thing for the rude waiter. You would do the same thing for the guy giving you weird looks on the bus. You assume that everyone is there. Now, of course, if the person seems to be dangerous, don't even go there, right? And that happens. But typically, you start to see that everyone is human. Everyone is a soul. We accept that. Everyone is a soul. And maybe they simply grew up or were raised in a circumstance where they forgot their divinity. They forgot who they are. And maybe you have the power to truly change them by just giving them a little smile. So I like to play that little game and see how much I can make the other person smile or cheer up. And I sometimes find it fascinating when I happen to get in an Uber and the driver is rude or annoying, or I happen to go to a restaurant and I'm treated like crap. I try to see how I can bring a little bit of light. So I see it as a challenge. You turn the state of being a victim in that state into a state of being strong by putting yourself in that position of power and playing a game where you can change that. Now, it also applies to the news you read. So I have a simple rule. If I read something in the news and it frustrates me, I don't just complain. And it's okay to complain. It's okay to go, oh my God, I can't believe he, that politician said that again. I do something about it. So for example, when I read that 
the Amazon was burning and the corrupt leader of Brazil was not doing anything about it, what I did was I created a simple video to help raise awareness on what I knew about the Amazon. And it's a simple thing like that. And maybe no one sees the video. It doesn't matter. The fact is, I trained my sense of self to know that when I see something I dislike, I have the power to take action. I can choose to be reactive and sit in my butt, or I can take a little bit of action to help heal the situation. And if all of us did that, we are telling ourselves that we are powerful. We are telling ourselves that we get to choose. We move from the level of being victim to being someone who is ready to get out there and shape the world. You got to take that first step. Absolutely. I love that. You know, I call it striking with love. You strike with love. That's a great phrase. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because I think that there's a point in humanity, and I find this a lot, especially when I'm traveling and meeting with people from different types of social classes and so forth. I find that people have this entitlement, this idea that someone is going to fix it for them, that Jesus Christ is going to come on a horse and free them into, you know, their everlasting life, or the government's going to fix it, or this person's going to fix it. So they're like, well, why bother? Nothing's really going to make a difference if I do anything, because I'm just one person out of billions of people. What would you say is something that you would recommend based on your knowledge and understanding? Because you do have a lot of knowledge, and I have to say, you're very wise. I'm very much enjoying our conversation. You have a lot of information that I think is really necessary at this day and age, just for the evolution, but also for minds to be able to step into another way of looking at things and gaining a great more deal of perspective, which is so necessary for a human being in the process of their growth. But I would say, what would you say is something that people can do when they're feeling like, I don't really think I'm going to make a difference. So why should I bother? Why should I bother? Let the politicians handle it. Let the government handle it. Let the school systems handle it. Let this person handle it. But I'm not really going to make a difference. What is your thoughts on that? Well, if you're in that state, you are definitely in victim consciousness. Now, remember what I said, there are different tools for different levels of awareness. If you're in level two, you understand that your mind can, to some degree, influence your experience of reality. So you learn creative visualization. When you're in victim consciousness, you're not ready for that. You're not even ready to really play and pick up a personal growth book. Now, the people listening here, cannot be at that level because they wouldn't even show up to this podcast, but odds are they might know someone who is. Now, I watched Esther Hicks speak 11 years ago, and she suggested a really simple exercise in that seminar. And I love this exercise. It's called, wouldn't it be nice? So you train the person in victim consciousness to simply play a little game with themselves in the morning. They know how their day is going to unfold and they simply play a game. Wouldn't it be nice? If breakfast today was so delicious, wouldn't it be nice if I didn't get stuck in traffic today and the traffic moved freely? Wouldn't it be nice if really good music came on the radio and not too many ads? Wouldn't it be nice if when I got to work, my coworkers were smiley and in a positive state and I felt acknowledged? Wouldn't it be nice if today I got a really nice lunch with really great company? Wouldn't it be nice if I got to finish work early today? Wouldn't it be nice if I got to come home and the kids are well-behaved and I get to sit and Netflix for like two hours? And you play that little wouldn't that be nice game. Now, Esther Hicks calls that segment intending. It is the first step in understanding that you can create your reality. You start breaking your life into segments and you play a little game. Wouldn't it be nice? And you do that for the entire day. So someone who is in victim consciousness and they are just starting meditation, it's great to teach them the breathing in and the breathing out. But ultimately, while that will make them 
a little bit more peaceful, you want to start training them to slowly awaken to their ability to influence reality. You teach them to play the wouldn't it be nice game. You tell them, look, you know, sometimes it may work and sometimes it may not work. But either way, when you do this, what's going on is that you're training your brain to expect and notice the positive. You say, wouldn't it be nice if the restaurant I went to had great ambiance and the food was great? And you do go to that restaurant and the waiter is a dick your brain is actually going to pay less attention to that and notice the ambiance and the food. And so you actually are training people to awaken. And when they start becoming available and aware of who they are, that's when you get them to level two and you teach them creative visualization. Oh, I love this. Absolutely. Wouldn't it be nice that everyone would use that all over the world and everyone would feel joy and happiness all the time? (laughs) I love that. It's beautiful. I do believe in bliss state of consciousness. I was just recently talking to a bunch of scientists that work in mental health and we're focusing on shamanism as being a necessary tool to help people come out of their depression states by shifting the way in which they, one, use their words and also how they choose to place their attention on things. And a lot of times you hear in society, about people go, okay, I'm setting an attention, I'm setting an intention. And yet, you know, what I always say is that it's about attention. It's where your attention is that literally creates the energy because wherever you are, that's what you're being exposed to. And that's what's actually affecting you. So when we're dealing with all of these different things that are happening on the planet right now, because there is a lot of mass disruptions happening right now for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people who are really wanting to lash out because of their social political leaders stepping into office and doing things that they feel is completely goes against the morality of what they consider their life to be. And therefore lashing out with that anger and that frustration. What would you say? Because, you know, there is this very fine tuning understanding, like for instance, Martin Luther King's one of my great greatest mentors. And Dr. Martin Luther King, one of the things that I always admired with him, which has also helped me in my role in life, is when he was going to the podium and saying one of his most famous speeches and the guy spit in his face and he took the handkerchief out of his pocket, wiped the spit out of his eye and basically said, I do believe this belongs to you, sir. But not everyone agrees to that. Not everyone agrees to taking a very peaceful way. Same thing with Gandhi, for instance, you know, as he was working for the aristocratic family in England, he saw his people suffering, but he didn't really take charge on really making a change for his people at that point until he actually experienced the amount of abuse and hate and racism that he got and got beaten up and so forth. And that's kind of when his eyes opened. Do you feel that human beings need to have a kick in the ass in order to evolve? Yes, absolutely. So if you look at all the theories out there on what causes transformation, transformation comes in two ways. It comes from what is called a disorienting dilemma, or as you said, a kick in the butt. Your relationship breaks and you learn how to be a better lover. Your business collapses and you learn how to be a better entrepreneur. So the kick in the ass is a great way to grow. It's like the Rumi said, oh, ye who cannot take a good rub, how will you ever become a polished gem? So that's one. And the second thing is simple, evolved evolution of meaning schema over time. That's what you happen when you read a book or you meditate or you listen to a podcast and you slowly evolve your meaning schema of the world. Now, the kick in the butt style is painful. The Meaning schema thing can be slow. So the best way to truly transform is to go deep into personal growth. It's to set aside an hour every day 
to dedicate to yourself, to make yourself better. It's to ensure that your personal growth is the most important thing in your life. My personal growth is the one thing about my life I do not sacrifice for anything else. It is the most important thing. And by the way, I mean the most important thing. It has to be more important than your family, more important than your relationship, more important than your work. Now, when you grow, all of those other things will grow with you. But we forget that. We forget that our duty is to elevate ourselves as a soul. So you want to dedicate an hour every day to journal, to meditate, to exercise, to eat healthy, to pray, to everything that makes you a better person. And that's supremely important. Now, you also said another thing, right? You said, is the kick in the butt necessary? Maslow said that as you go up the ladder, you come to self-actualization. And self-actualization is the top of Maslow's pyramid. It's the ultimate human need. It's the need to self-actualize and grow. But after he published his pyramid, Maslow bound out that there was a point even higher, and he called that self-transcendence. And what he essentially said is, after you self-actualize, you start to understand, hmm, there's a lot of people out there I could help. And that's the next thing you want to do. The next thing you want to do is make your life about serving. Now, the problem with people in our industry, and I'm talking to you, spiritual person listening to this, the problem is too many of us self-actualize, but do not self-transcend. So let's go back to Martin Luther King. My favorite MLK quote is this, power without love is reckless and abusive. And that's true. When you see power without love, you think President Trump. You think Brazilian leader Bolsonaro, who's burning down the rainforest. It's power without love, reckless and abusive. But he also Mm -hmm. said, love without power is sentimental and anemic. Too many people in the personal growth movement think that they can heal the world by holding hands and singing Kumbaya. (laughs) Love without power. They do not take action. They are self-actualized without self-transcendence. They care more about their yoga butt than they care to get off their butt and fix something about the world. But Luther King said, power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. When you understand that, that justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love, You start to understand your duty in the world. You start to understand who to vote for. You start to be able to detect the foul stench of a corrupt politician from the words he utters because you understand that true power is removing everything that stands against love. You do not build border walls. You welcome the asylum seekers. You do not lower the refugee quota. You find a way to create a world where refugees are no longer necessary. You do not burn down the rainforest. You find a way to take care of our world so we give it to our children's children's children in a better form. All of us need to awaken to this message from NLK. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. Mm-hmm. Ashe, we say that in African culture, which is where my family is from. And it means like, yes, it's like a big yes in the spirit world. Ashe. Yeah, it's so true. And it's very true. I know for myself, when I was in Israel in the early 90s, people were saying, why are you going to go to Israel in the middle of a war? I said, because I have a lot of love, a lot of knowledge, and a lot of ability to support and help 
people that's there from both the Palestinian side as well as the Israeli side and really implement change there for a lot of people. And a lot of my friends got scared and I meet a lot of people who go to these festivals and they're like, oh, heart to heart hugs and let's sing songs and I love you, brother. And I think that's all beautiful. So I was like, if you want to give these hugs, come with me to Uppsala in Sweden where I go and deal with refugees and give them hugs when they're coming off these boats and coming into these lands where they're going to be staying for the next three or four years without having any type of resources to really create a family structure for themselves. And none of them want to go, but they all want to give heart-to-heart hugs to people who will take the heart-to-heart hugs. For me, it's a little disappointing, but at the same time, it's also eye-opening for me to be able to say, okay, now I know where I can put my energy and how I can actually begin to open up that as a conversation. And I love what you said, because the way you speak, by the way, is so poignant and so precise and so beautiful. And I know the tribe is listening and gathering a lot of wisdom and a lot of know-how from you. And that's really important. And I just wanted to commend you and say, I really appreciate that because everyone who goes on Ancient Wisdom today, they have to be someone who's about really creating change in the world for the better and for the sake of love, because of love. And that's the only message there is. And however you choose to do it, if you're a scientist or an engineer, or if you're a biohacker, if you're a doctor or a neuroscientist, it's all to me irrelevant as long is it serving the purpose of our species, sentient beings, our planet, our natural environment, and so forth for us to be able to cohabitate this planet together. So when it comes to your life and everything that you're doing, you have the Mind Valley. How much time do you spend in your life in your Mind Valley University and putting your love and your energy and attention into that versus putting projects together for your loving service for other things that you're inspired by? And what are those other things that you're inspired to be a part of? Well, Mind Valley is my vehicle for serving the world, right? But I'm not Mind Valley. Mind Valley is Mind Valley. It's its own energetic ecosystem. I'm currently just the chief coordinator of what's going on in this ecosystem. So I love what I do, but it never feels like work. I am in our headquarters, maybe about five months of the year. And seven months of the year, I'm traveling. You've attended my gatherings and my meetups in LA and other cities. And I love traveling the world, experiencing the world, connecting with people, learning from great healers, going on personal growth quests, and doing everything I can to keep the energy of Mind Valley flowing and serving our 10 million followers. Beautiful. And do you have any more love projects that you are really excited about at this time in your life? Absolutely. So one of the biggest things that we are developing is the world's most advanced transformational platform. In fact, it's actually going to be the world's most advanced educational platform. We are close. We are two years away from it. And basically what it does is it creates a new way of education that allows human beings to evolve into who they want to be. It looks at everything from your device, your data from variables, to your friendship connections, to your goals in life, to your visions for yourself, to areas in your life where you may be falling behind. And it uses artificial intelligence to help give you 20 minutes a day of learning and growth from the world's greatest teachers. And this growth ranges from everything from meditation to nutrition, to weight loss, to conscious parenting. So it's coming up very soon. You can already kind of get a taste from it if you go to mindvalley.com, but we are still putting the pieces together. And this is what I'm currently working on. 
I love that. So I want to talk more about the code of extraordinary mind, because we know that it's been translated into 25 languages. It's New York Times bestseller. Let's get into it a little bit. What is this code of extraordinary mind from the lovely vision? Tell us more about that. Well, the code of the extraordinary mind is a book on personal growth and self-awareness. And it's basically 10 different ideas or laws of living in the world. So when we talk about transformation, transformation is when you take on a new belief, you take on the belief of love is painful to love is actually a beautiful thing and pain is optional. You grow from hard work is necessary to success to flow is necessary to success. Now what the code of the extraordinary mind does is it looks at 10 laws, or as we call them, codes that layer onto one another that move you to living an extraordinary life. For example, one of the codes is the concept of discipline, that the ultimate discipline in life is the discipline of bliss. Another one of the codes is bending reality. And it's the idea that your mind can actually influence the reality you live in in a profound degree. And it gives you the tools to get there. Another code is be unfuckwithable, which shows you how to raise your sense of self-love so much that what other people say about you doesn't break you and you no longer need criticism or praise. So what I do is I layer on 10 different powerful ideas. And because I'm in this beautiful, blessed position where I get to travel the world and meet so many incredible teachers like you, I bring in advice from these teachers. I use my skills as an engineer to connect the dots between multiple different theories and ideas from everyone, from Elon Musk to the Reverend Michael Beckwith, to Marissa Peer, to Peter Diamandis, and connect them into a philosophy of life so one can truly live an extraordinary existence. That's so amazing. Everyone has to get this book. It's beautiful. And this book is still available, right? Oh, yeah. No, this book was 2017. It was the number one book on Amazon. You can easily get it on Amazon and you can find it in most bookstores. It's a very, very, very light popular book. I love that. So I want to talk about science and spirituality because I'm very strong about bridging the gap between these two worlds. I believe that science has had such a mark upon life, but I also feel that science has its own blind spot that's been limiting people from being able to have all of the information that's available for them as far as resource for them to be able to make changes in their life, be it for the healthcare or for you know mental issues, or even just the educational platforms that we have on our planet. What do you think is the biggest separation that's causing that big gap between science and spirituality? Well, to me, there isn't really a gap. Nassim Haramin, the physicist, spiritualist said, spirituality is nothing more than physics we haven't figured out the equation for. So when you ask me about the gap between science and spirituality, there isn't really a gap. Spirituality is a different way of comprehending the world as a science. Both have their pros, both have their cons. I do not like to randomly smash both together. So what I mean is, I'm not going to talk about vibrations. and I'm not because we don't understand that stuff. But the fact is, you don't have to understand how something works to use it. Most people here don't understand how their iPhone works. 
for most of human civilization, which is 25,000 years, we didn't understand what the sun was. We thought the sun was the Egyptian god Ra sailing across the sky, or the sun was a giant fireball, but we could still use the sun for warmth, for navigation, for heat, for growing crops. It was only in the last 100 years that we figured out what the sun was. It doesn't mean we couldn't use it before we knew what it was. Now, today, we know that there is such a thing as the aura. We know through some research that when you think positively of someone, you influence their neurobiology. We know that there's numerous cases where thoughts can influence reality. We know that psychic phenomenon, and this was studied at multiple universities, including Duke and University of Edinburgh, we know that there's this weird correlation between psychic phenomenon and information coming to us outside the realms of our senses. We don't know why. Now, some people look at the, we don't know why, and they say, this is bunk. And they're pretty clueless, personally. They are hardcore science fans, but what they fail to realize is this, science isn't perfect either. There's massive problems going on with science right now. For example, 60 to 70% of all scientific studies fail the replicability test, meaning what one scientist gets, other scientists are unable to replicate. If we simply bring in that replicability test, 60 to 70% of all science disappears. And then the other thing they fail to understand is that sometimes something is real because we can prove it in a lab. But sometimes something is real because we experience it. And there are so many experiences that even scientists have that you can't necessarily explain, but you know it's real because these are shared experiences across countless millions of human beings. For example, out-of-body experiences, lucid dreaming, spontaneous remission. All of these are real in many, many, many ways. So again, I don't bother with the whole science spirituality thing. When I'm teaching spirituality, I do bring in science if it does exist. For example, when I was teaching intuition, I talk about the studies at the University of Edinburgh that showed that when one is in a relaxed state, given a test where they had a 25% chance of picking the correct picture, over hundreds of case subjects, they would hit 33%. That's huge in science. That means a billion to one psychic ability is real. But that doesn't matter as much to someone as much as you having a dream that gives you an insight to what you are going to experience that day, or you having a massive eureka moment that helps you create something new that works in your organization. So again, I don't think it's something worth talking about. But I do hope, as Nassim says, that someday we figure out the equations for spirituality. Which I agree, but I do believe there's a gap because when I have sit-downs with neuroscientists and I sit down with different doctors from allopathic medicine to holistic medicine, the thing that comes up the most, and especially from the allopathic side, is that they'll say, oh, well, that hasn't been blind tested or, oh, that hasn't been brought forth through our test to be something that is accurate that we could say that this is real and put this in our findings as that this is something that's real. So on our planet, we base things real and we give power to people who generalized information to the masses, very different from like when you're dealing with long range testing to short range testing, when you're dealing with someone who's a doctor in a major medical field to someone who's also working as a functional medicine doctor. You know, there's all these different ranges. And what I feel and what I see, and the reason why I brought it up was because I see a huge gap. I see a gap where the conversation isn't being had. 
And I feel like there's some kind of energy thought or belief system or program that's existing still on our planet that's keeping that gap separated so that we don't bring these things. So the blind spot still continues. Because look, if you take and build a technology and you send it into outer space, it's not going to pick up on the things that other life forms that human beings want to find in the way, depending upon who built that technology. Because the person who orchestrated that technology, like the person who conducts a piano concerto or Beethoven writing his famous music, it has to be from the person who's bringing it through. So that's the person who's channeling that into manifestation into life and into something that's more constructive and more conducive for humanity's usage. So when we look at that and we look at like one of the biggest problems why educational system continues to devalue the intuition, why people are not taught how to really understand how to be functional beings in a thriving universe that is offering them all of these facilities and resources, but we keep destroying our resources and we keep depleting ourselves and we keep looking at sustainability as something outside of us because I feel like this gap is creating all of those experiences that are happening on our planet, that are happening simultaneously And I feel like in order for us to become a much more whole human being, we have to recognize that there is a spiritual, emotional, a mental, and a spirit in a physical body. And these four pillars need to be acknowledged equally if we are going to be able to survive on this planet or nature will go on without us. But we as human beings will not be able to sustain life because we're not operating on all four levels of our life. So do you think that based on everything that you are bringing it to Mind Valley and everything that you're doing is about bringing that level of awareness for people to start kind of gauging that for themselves and going in that journey? Absolutely. Ultimately, our goal is to spread enlightened ideas, right? And enlightened ideas is simply ideas which are more evolved than what current society is being indoctrinated with. And to me, when you look at the concept of enlightened ideas, these are ideas that move people from separation to unity. These are ideas that move people from being the subject of brainwashing and following the sheep to being truly autonomous and making up their own decisions. It's ideas that move people from unclarity to having authentic visions for their life. So all of these are higher level ideas. And almost everything we do is really about moving people up this ladder of consciousness the higher level ideas. But the higher level ideas always serve two things. They serve the evolution of the soul and they serve the idea of us behaving like collective souls and us supporting each other. Right. And what do you feel about the educational system in school today? Oh, because that comes out a lot. So I want to hear your thoughts about that. <laughs> Don't even get started. <laughs> no, I want you to get started. The tribe yeah. wants you to get started. It's so freaking outdated and filled with bullshit. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on and on. But look, change in the world is happening really fast, right? According to Peter Diamandis, there's going to be as much change between 2016 and 2022, and we are halfway there, as there was between 1900 and 2000. And while so much change is happening and every young child, literally, if you're 10 years old today, odds are you have access to a smartphone. And these smartphones are getting more and more intelligent. Like my son doesn't need school anymore. He, through his iPad and through YouTube, and he's 11 years old, he's more educated in 
facts and history and geography and science than I am. He randomly can pull out incredible facts. His mind is like a sponge. We've raised a generation of kids that no longer need to be locked in a classroom. So why then should they go to school? Well, you want to create schools which are about teaching children creativity. You want to create schools which are about teaching children collaboration, how to connect with other kids, kindness, mindfulness, entrepreneurship. You want to teach the kids nutrition. You want to teach the kids yoga, but most schools don't. It's crazy that we spend such an inordinate amount of time teaching kids stuff that they can Google on their smartphone, geography, history. Sugitra Mitra, who won the TED Prize for Education, he's one of the biggest education pioneers in the world. And he himself said, we have to stop teaching kids math. We have to stop teaching kids spelling because the future human beings won't need that because they have a backup brain in their pocket that does that for them. And so there's so much that we can change about education. That's just one area we're getting started in. Well, why don't we? That's the question, right, that I want to hear your thoughts about and your feelings is that why, if we know this information and it's out there, why aren't we changing the school system? Because what I see with kids, because I work with a lot of children and I work with kids ages from up to five and up. And they come and they train with me in shamanism and they learn about how to access their gifts and be able to communicate what's happening in their environment in a very quicker and more faster pace. But a lot of these kids who come to me, they come with high levels of anxiety. They come with stress. I mean, there's a movie that's out right now called Euphoria, which actually basically describes the average kid in school today. And the amount of nonsense of input they're getting and all the stress, the social media, the need to be popular, the need to have as many likes on Instagram, all of these things are facilitating. And then you have this school system that's shoving down history down their throat, which is basically just, you know, telling the things that we've done before, but giving it to them over and over again that we're still doing. So we haven't really changed much from the history books. And why? We have so many people on the planet. Why aren't they standing up and saying no more? Well, we have a lot of people on the planet who are standing up and saying no more. We have even more people on the planet who are just barely trying to survive. And I think that's the problem. Like as a human species, we still have so many people who are lagging behind. And as long as that's happening, it's going to be hard to create this type of change. So what's your suggestion for us to be able to move in the direction of creating that change? I think those of us who are in a leadership position, those of us who have the power to create this change, need to step up and start caring about society as much as we care about our own business or our own projects. I mean, if you look at just America, right? America talks about the land of the free, the land of opportunity. If you actually look at the data, America has lower upward mobility than Pakistan. It ranks 16 out of all countries in terms of upward mobility. America doesn't take care of its poor. It doesn't take care of people who are out of luck. My friend just died in an accident. He's American. He was born with a genetic condition, so he didn't get insurance. But his widow was left with a bill in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. All his friends are donating, including me, to help that. 
That's a really broken system. But he's not the only one. There are so many people who are in this situation. They are down on their luck. They don't have insurance. 30 million Americans don't have insurance. They have to juggle multiple jobs. Time Magazine that just did an expose on American teachers. So we're talking about education, right? Time Magazine's expose on American teachers showed that so many teachers in America had to take two or three jobs. They cared about their students. The schools couldn't provide supplies for the students, so they had to use their own money. And to pay for that, one teacher had to go and donate blood every week. So we can't blame the teachers for not being able to upgrade the curriculum when we pay teachers so little. And so what I'm trying to get at is that the way we run the world is broken. And the reason it's broken is because we've created this idea that we live in an age of individuals, that we all have to, you know, pull up our bootstraps and hustle and make it. And it's just so freaking stupid. We forget to help each other. And as long as there are so many people in the world out there who are suffering, they're going to be voting for the wrong people. They're going to be voting for the dangerous nationalist. And so I think you got to do both. I think we've got to evolve ourselves. But I really think we also got to start paying attention to the people around us who really need help and support. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because I love listening to you and I love listening to what you're saying because it really touches my heart to be able to hear you speak the way that you do. I feel very much honored and I'm sure the tribal members who are listening in today share are feeling very honored. But I do, I really feel like in order for us to up-level ourselves, we have to get out of this kind of constructed idea that it's a me, me, me instead of a we, 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 and really start understanding shared consciousness a shared understanding, shared vision. And I teach this a lot to CEOs when I'm working with Fortune 500 companies or whatever. How do they up-level their company? They have to change the whole paradigm to supporting each individual, not as a cog on the wheel, but as a part of the visionary process and the, the making of that vision. But what I find a lot right now where we are in our evolution, and I actually talk about it a lot in my lectures, is that you know we're living at the age of narcissism. This is how shamans see it. We live in a narcissistic time. Now, we're not looking at it from a bad point of view because in shamanism, we don't see things in that way. We see things as everything is a part of serving something that leads us to an awakening that takes us even further into our divinity. But at the same time, narcissism does serve its purpose for people to be able to see more of the things that they're putting their energy and their time into. But what I see also too with like, for instance, in the health and wellness world or the spiritual platform, I see a lot of people grandizing themselves to how many likes they have on Instagram and how popular they are and who they know and all of these things and forgetting it's not about them and it's about the people. What would you say to someone who's listening to today's share for them to be able to stay authentic and grounded in their vision, in their purpose, without getting caught up in that energy of, I have to be just as good as this person because this person has a million and something followers. So if I don't have that, I'm not successful. My message isn't getting out there. Do I really have a chance? Because with the age of narcissism, how is anyone going to feel like they can be a part of the leadership to lift someone else if they feel like they can't even lift themselves? No, you're very right. You're very right. I think right now we talk about shares and likes, right? But if you go back to every generation of human beings, there was always some situation where we compared ourselves to the other person. I was just watching a show on Netflix, Adam Ruins Everything, and he was talking about the suburbs from the myth of American suburbs. In the 1950s, you know how we compared ourselves to each other? How impeccable our lawns were. 
And in the 1990s, I remember going to school and we compared each other to how good we were at sports. And so there's always this comparison thing, right? But I remember meeting Don Miguel Ruiz once and I asked him, so you talk a lot about Taltech wisdom. What does Taltech really mean? And he said, Taltech means artist. It means you have to be an artist of your life. Personal growth means you do not emerge into life like you're emerging out of a photocopy machine. You know, a photocopy machine where you are a copy of everyone else out there. A machine that's constantly cranking out copy after copy after copy. When we are following the likes because the other person has likes or following the fashion trends because the other person has that or deciding that we want to start an app company because you know my friend from college started an app company. That's just going through the human photocopy machine. What Don Miguel Ruiz says, instead, figure out who you really are. Go within and then create your own masterpiece. Paint an original picture. Don't become a photocopied piece of paper. And I think that advice is really powerful in this circumstance. Right. I want to add something to that in also regards to what I also see and what's something that I think is the tribe would love to probably hear more about. And I think that was very beautiful what you said, because that's such a wonderful analogy, by the way. I just want to let you know, I love the idea of the photocopy. It's so true. And I think we say in shamanism that source has no form. It can take any form it wants and you get to create whatever that form is by how you speak to yourself and how you see yourself. So tomorrow you could be into blue and next day you could be into red and it doesn't really matter because you're interchangeable and your omnipotent and omnipresent being is able to take on any type of form because you're an eternal being. But one of the things that I find interesting though in today's world is, you know, when we get into all of the things that I see in social media and the people and everything, there's this really great position that people put anyone who has a lot of likes or anyone who has a lot of followers, they give them this presence of speech and talk and believability that they actually believe what they say to be true because they have a lot of people following them. And the thing is, I feel like that's a dangerous road because I always look at people based on the longevity of their journey. And I feel like time is fair for giving and revealing. It gives you a benchmark. I remember something I was speaking about on Netflix on this show that I was on where we're talking about Jeannie McCarthy, where she was telling everyone to take all these vitamins and everything, but she's never taken a vitamin class in her life or anything about nutrition or health. How do we weed out? How do we find what is real and what isn't? I know, right? And that's a huge problem in the world today because everyone has a voice. Anyone can be a media company of one. And <laughs> I love you. My kids' school now, they teach kids how to recognize fake news. They teach kids how to use Google to research. And so I think it's a skill that we all have to learn. By the way, one of the elements of conscious evolution is the idea of autonomy. And autonomy is actually one of the principles that we embed in all our learning programs in Mind Valley. So I mentioned there were three things, inclusivity, autonomy, authenticity. Autonomy simply means independent thinking. Autonomy means you set a vision for your life based on what comes from you without going through the human photocopy machine. Autonomy means when you hear something, you are naturally skeptical. It doesn't mean you resist everything, but even if you hear me, you're naturally skeptical. You're like, you know, that's pretty interesting, but I want to research more. If you agree with 100% of everything I said here, you are probably an idiot. I'm sorry, but I'm just being frank. <laughs> if you agree with 80% of what I said here or 90% and you think, you know, 10%, maybe that vision guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Or maybe he's full of shit. I respect you more. 
Because you should, we should all face the world with that healthy skepticism because there is lots of bullshit out there. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I love healthy skepticism. I'm a big skeptic. And people think I'm not because I'm a shaman. I'm very much a big skeptic. I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll double check that. But I think it's very important. And I really love that you talked about all of these different thoughts that have come to you and you shared it with the tribe. You know, you're such a beautiful soul and a very powerful man. And I'm very happy. And I know there's like a secret unveiling soon, but you have a new book that's coming out. Can we get a little bit of secret on that? I'm actually working in the manuscript now. It's coming out in May next year. So Code of the Extraordinary Mind is being republished. It's coming out in January. And the new book's coming out in May next year. And it's about how to bring out your best in yourself and the people around you at work. So remember what I said about shrinking time, getting more done in less time? The book talks about that. Mm, Sounds wonderful. We have to bring you back in to the share for the tribal circle so they can hear it, so we can talk about that book. I'm excited to have my team get me that book when it comes out. You know, you're such a gift to the world and you've created so many beautiful gifts to the world. The gems and the rubies and the diamonds keep flowing from you, brother. And it's so wonderful to have you here on Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. And is there anything you want to share with the world that you feel that someone would want to hear right now that is going through a very difficult time in their life that would actually assist them in becoming a greater and more empowered human being? Well, you know, I touched on this earlier, that pain, suffering, they are all part of transformation. Jesus suffered, the Buddha suffered. The Rumi said suffering is the wound through which the light enters. So if you're going through some pain out there, I respect that. It's a process. Don't give up. I know that there's often a light at the other end of the tunnel. The suffering is often the breadcrumbs towards you discovering your next grand awakening. Thank you. I love that. Yes, that's lit. I love that. If you want to check out more of Shaman Durek's podcasts, subscribe to Ancient Wisdom Today. You'll find it on iTunes, Spotify, and your favorite podcast app. And if you found this episode interesting, check out my book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. You'll find it on Amazon. In fact, in September of 2017, The Code, as it's commonly called by fans, became the number one book in the world on Amazon. So check it out and see what the fuss is about. Again, it's called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. I'll see you again on the Mind Valley podcast soon. Thanks for being a loyal listener. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. Mention Shaman's name or my name so we can check out your kind words and notice your review. We can't wait to hear from you. And don't forget to also follow me on Instagram. My Instagram ID is simply at vision. A lot of the ideas in this podcast I share in the form of stories and writings on Instagram. And I love reading your comments. And I also respond to a good chunk of the messages that come in. I am the real me on Instagram. I read, comment, and respond to as many of your messages as I can. So if you've been enjoying the Mind Valley podcast, I'd love for you to be following me on Instagram at at vision. Thank you for tuning in. I will see you next week. Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, 
Take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.